0: Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be speaking with Karen Rohr. She's going to be speaking with us all about sales ops from creating sales campaigns to measuring KPIs and going into depth on that, not just what measuring KPIs, but what KPIs to measure and why. We're also going to be speaking about customer success and how to keep your customers happy. So it's a really great episode, and I hope you'll, you'll learn a lot. And while we're here, if you're a startup that's looking to build your sales process or uh, better define your sales process even, that means anything from your go-to-market strategy, putting together a CRM and defining the cadences that's going to happen to even building your sales team, feel free to reach out to us. You could go to startupsales.io, that's startupsales.io to learn more, and you can reach out to us and we could help you out. Let's get into today's episode with Karen. There's a lot to learn, and I think you'll really enjoy Sharon, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Great. So can you tell uh, people a little bit about your background and who you are?
1: Of course. I currently run customer success for a company called Atrium, which builds sales analytics software. So I work with sales operations folks and sales managers on kind of understanding their sales metrics and how to bring those into their coaching conversations, organizational planning, all of those kinds of things. Uh, my background before that was in sales operations, so I set up the sales ops team at Double H, uh, the event marketing software company, and then went over to LinkedIn shortly after they acquired lynda.com to kind of help set up some, some sales ops structure and process around that acquisition and help with the integration, uh, and then managed sales ops for North America and EMEA for LinkedIn learning.
0: Wow, terrific. So what, what is sales ops?
1: So sales ops is all of the things that provide the infrastructure around a sales organization so that sellers can focus on selling. So it is creating territories, setting quotas, managing a weekly forecasting process, making sure that the sales tech stack is set up and works and reps know how to use that technology to get the most out of their sales process. It is kind of doing all of the ad hoc analysis on what kinds of companies should we be targeting, what kinds of sales cadences should we be running. So it's really providing that kind of like infrastructure and more analytical support around a sales org.
0: Wow. So it's uh, a little bit of everything. It's it's what typically happens what the sales first salesperson is kind of starting to set up.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. The founding. Well, the founder usually who, who starts the go to market organization does a lot of, of figuring that kind of thing out before there's someone who comes in full-time to own that.
0: Yeah. When should a company be hiring a, uh, a sales ops person?
1: I would say as soon as you have a sales team, right? So you have a sales manager and you know three or four AEs, I would bring a sales ops person in pretty early just because it's so much easier to set up a lot of this stuff kind of correctly the first time than to go back and try and undo and redo things that were sort of tossed together because nobody really did own it.
0: Wouldn't it be better to hire somebody right at the beginning to set all that up properly? That way you, don't, you, you start recording all the statistics and the numbers as well as getting the right cadences and the sales stack together from the start?
1: Oh, I definitely think that you should set up a CRM and do all of that from the beginning. It it depends a little bit on sort of how familiar with these kinds of things the founder or whoever's owning the early go-to-market motion is with a lot of this. Uh, So at Atrium right now, we still don't have a full-time sales ops person, but our entire customer success organization has sales ops experience. And so we kind of share the burden of that. So it doesn't make sense for us yet to commit a full-time resource to that, right? For other organizations where maybe both of the founders are more product and engineering led founders, you know, it may not make sense to have a full-time sales ops higher from super early on, but it may make sense to, hire a sales ops consultancy to help set a lot of that stuff up before you start hiring AE's in so that there is kind of at least some technology and process in place to make sure that you're capturing data in a repeatable way.
0: Okay, so if I'm a founder and I'm I'm just uh, at this early stage, I I've looked so many CRMs and all these tools and it's so overwhelming all the time and they're <laughs> all they all claim one thing and then do something else. It's really difficult. So How can I make sense of that and and what do you recommend?
1: Yeah, so I think in the early days, what you really need is a CRM, right? You really need a source of truth for what opportunities are being worked, kind of what's happening with them, how they're moving through some kind of sales process, even if you're still figuring out exactly what that process is and what it looks like, and a source of truth for kind of all of the deals that you close and where all the signed contracts go. Right. And so having a CRM set up that can do that, I think, is really important from the beginning. A lot of the other sales technology stuff makes more sense to introduce after you at least have kind of worked out what that sales process should be. Right. Because bringing in sales enablement or sales engagement software like a sales software and outreach that's not gonna make a ton of sense until you sort of know what you want to use those tools to do, right? Now, as soon as you figured that out, having those earlier rather than later can be really helpful in setting up kind of what does my prospecting cadence look like? What does my sort of onboarding drip email flow for new customers look like? But you know, the, having kind of the CRM is the first step as you're figuring out, okay, how do I sell the software? What does that look like?
0: I always, uh, I'm, when I'm talking to my clients or, or when I'm at, a, at an accelerator, I always say to, to start with like a Salesforce or an outreach, a little bit opposite of what you're saying, because if, if, you, could, if you could figure out how to get the automation part of it, then it's such, they're such powerful tools and it will actually allow you to Automate so much of your processes and making it easier and more predictable
1: Yeah, and so I don't I think I am I'm saying something that's Overlapping I don't know that I'm a hundred percent disagreeing But I'm I'm more saying that you have to do some of that stuff manually to figure out what you want to automate Yeah, so that's why I'm saying like bring it in early, but probably the second thing not the first thing
0: Yeah, and what about? you know there's so many uh, i go with salesforce i go with the agile crm you know what something in between i tell people that it's it's kind of uh, important to pick the right one from the beginning because otherwise to, you're going to spend more time later on transferring everything what what do you think
1: yeah having having done a systems migration they are terrible and not fun (laughs) at all. And it takes a lot of time and resources internally in order to, even if you're, when I was at LinkedIn with the Linda acquisition, we were doing a Salesforce to Salesforce migration. Even that took a, I mean, and granted these are, we're both large organizations, but it took a team of people months worth of work to make sure that the data that needed to be migrated could be migrated in formats that would make sense kind of over a weekend so that sales folks weren't losing a ton of productivity without breaking things. And that was really challenging. And so I think figuring out what's going to make sense for your business longer term and kind of setting that up from the beginning is over the long run going to be a lot easier, even if you're overpaying for a tool that does more than you need it to do in the early days.
0: Yeah. All right, and let's say you have the help or you have the knowledge to set all these things up and get everything going. What kind of tools should people be looking at to have in their sales stack?
1: Yeah, so I think we've already talked about having a CRM, you know, Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, Copper, whatever it is that's going to make sense for your business, and having some kind of sales engagement platform, a Salesforce Outreach MixMax, something like that. The other tools that I think are really valuable in a tech stack are once you have a sales team in place, having a call recording software like a gong or a chorus is really useful for manager coaching of sales reps and for sales reps even to be able to quickly and easily find their own next steps, the things that they need to go take action on after a call so that they can focus a little bit more on having that conversation with their prospects rather than note-taking the whole time. And then having some sort of analytics tool that helps you understand the data from those systems to say, what are my sales reps doing? What's working and not working? Where are we doing the high quantity of high quality selling activities that's gonna lead to positive outcomes and where are there opportunities for us to kind of pull some levers to improve our results?
0: Okay. What what are some of those metrics that uh, people should be monitoring?
1: So for AEs, you have uh, the sales velocity formula, which is your number of deals that you're working times your win rate on those deals times your average selling price, and all of that divided by your average sales cycle time. And basically what that formula gives you is what your bookings is going to be for a given time period. And so for AEs, There are several up-funnel metrics that are going to impact each of those levers, but kind of everything's going to come down to that, where one of those levers has to move for bookings to change. Yeah. And so it kind of depends who you're selling to as to what up-funnel metrics are going to have the biggest impact on those levers. Like obviously customer facing meetings are going to be a pretty big one for everybody, but... For a big enterprise where you're working a pretty small number of deals, you maybe care a little bit more about how many contacts are you engaged with on that deal? Or what's the average number of days between touches on contacts with that account? You know, to really understand the kind of breadth and depth uh, and frequency of your engagement with that small number of opportunities that you're working in an enterprise sales cycle. Whereas for something like an SMB sales cycle where it's quicker, it's a lot more transactional, you know, you're probably looking more at those kind of quantities of selling activities to make sure things are kind of keeping moving at a good clip.
0: Okay. So more phone calls, more emails. These are the kind of things you're measuring.
1: Sure. And then your, your quality metrics are, you know, you still have a couple of stages in your sales process. What do the conversion rates look like across those stages? You know, are folks, losing deals somewhere that there's coaching that can happen in that sales stage. Do you Uh, mean from like like
0: new to MQL, from MQL to SQL and so on? Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously those metrics are different for SDRs or for account managers, right? For SDRs, you know, they're trying to create sales qualified opportunities. And then for them, it's going to be, you know, those opportunities Created? How many meetings are they creating? How many accounts do they need to touch to create those meetings? What do the conversion rates look like from kind of account touch to meeting creation? So those kinds of things are going to be more relevant for SDRs.
0: Yeah. What are when you're looking at some of these numbers? What are some of the um, the blind spots that you've that you found?
1: For a lot of folks. Kind of what is happening on the opportunity object in Salesforce, they can kind of see in Salesforce pretty easily, but it's all of the things surrounding that that there's less clear line of sight into. So the biggest one is meetings, right? Customer facing meetings is a super important metric sort of for any type of salesperson. And not having clear visibility into that because meetings aren't being pushed to Salesforce or because there's not an analytics tool kind of pulling them off people's calendars is creates a really big blind spot because that then kind of prevents you from answering a lot of other questions that you might want to know, right? Like how frequently are you meeting with your accounts? And so that's the biggest blind spot that I see most often just because that's not something that sort of natively gets pushed to Salesforce unless you are using some kind of tool to do that. And it's a really important data point to have.
0: Yeah. And are you measuring when you look at those, how many meetings is that in between stages as well, or only in the opportunity stage?
1: So in between as well, especially, you know, like I mentioned for SDRs, a lot of times they're creating the meeting before they're creating the opportunity. So if you're only measuring things that happen once the opportunity is created, you're missing a lot of that prospecting activity.
0: Yeah, and. What are some of the mistakes that have been made that you've seen or you've made yourself when looking at these numbers?
1: So there are a few different ones, some that I've made, some that I've seen. One is once you have a sales organization that's sufficiently well-developed, that you have reps selling to different customer segments, not splitting out the metrics to understand how those different customer segments are performing. Because in that scenario, it gets really easy for a well-performing customer segment to mask the fact that you're actually losing money on another one, right? That not only is their customer acquisition cost as high or higher, but also they're churning at a higher rate. So you're getting a lower customer lifetime value out of them. So that's one that I've, that I've seen that's a big one. Another one is not understanding where opportunities are coming from. So not understanding whether they're coming from AE prospecting, from SDRs, or kind of inbound from the marketing organization. And if you don't understand that, that can lead to decisions like, hey, you know, I need to hire two more AEs, I'm gonna promote internally and promote a couple of SDRs, which is great, right? Like you want that career path to be available, but not having thought ahead to, I'm gonna start backfilling those SDRs before I promote them to make sure that my AEs are are gonna keep getting fed, Mm -hmm. right? Since SDRs are are contributing a huge number of the opportunities being sourced,
0: yeah, I think that's uh, a <laughs> really good advice. Otherwise, you you, they, everybody fails. Then uh, once you promote them, they, they'll fail themselves, and the experienced AEs will also fail. So, yeah. what are the metrics that are really important to be measuring? And like, it's kind of hard because each company is going to be different. But what are like the main ones that an early stage company should should start measuring and then add to it what a stage a stage b stage c
1: so i think the kind of the basics what does this look like stuff you should be measuring throughout right how many opportunities are being worked what percent of them are being won like start measuring that from the beginning it's always going to be important As you develop as a company, like I said, what specifically is going to be important for your sales motion is going to be a little bit different. But the thing that I would say there is you should be measuring some combination of here are the results that I want. Here are the effort metrics that are going to get me there. And here are the efficiency metrics that are most important in understanding what those conversion rates look like to get from efforts to outcomes. And so I know that that is a a kind of high-level answer, but really it does depend on what the sales process is, what the sales cycle looks like, to say specifically these are the metrics that are going to be the right ones.
0: All right. Let's take a step back. And uh, you said one of the other things that's uh, under your responsibility as as a sales ops person would be to manage the cadences. Now, Where does somebody start with that? Because there's a lot of material out there. A lot of people say do this. A lot of people say do that. What, What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So I know Jeremy Donovan was on your podcast recently, and he's done a lot of work on what has been effective for his customers. So there is a lot of data out there about kind of general best practices in terms of how you should think about subject lines and introductions and the length of emails that you send and how you pair calls and emails and all of those kinds of things. But basically you want to set up some kind of cadence that includes multiple different types of touches, right? Calls and emails and some light social touches that has some number of days in between them and that doesn't feel too automated, right? Like nobody likes getting an email that they feel like comes from a computer instead of a person. Yeah. I think from there, you, you set something up that kind of adheres to general best practices, and then you start testing, right? You start seeing what gets the best responsiveness for your customers. You know, salespeople actually answer their phones. If you're selling to devs, they don't, right? You're going to have to come up with a cadence that's a lot more email-based. And so it's, that's going to be testing, like, what works best for your specific market segment.
0: Let's come back to that because you just said something that's really important. You said you need to know your clients and Mm -hmm. this is in setting up your cadences. It's not just knowing your clients, it's also knowing what stage they're in, in the buying cycle. Mm -hmm. So when you're figuring out what your ideal client profile looks like, how do you set that up? Where do you start with uh, your ideal client profile?
1: So when you're doing founder love selling, you start with kind of the broad bucket of who are the people who might buy this and you go out and start talking to them. Right. And you do things like record that information so that, you know, who is actually entering buying cycles. Once you enter buying cycles, who's buying and who's not buying. And you learn from that. Right. You start to say, okay, you know, for us selling sales analytics software, sales organizations that look like this are the ones who seem to be buying our software. And then, you know, now that we've been out in the market selling for more than a year, we have some data on who's renewing, right? And even before that, we were doing NPS surveys, we were looking at their engagement data so that we could say, all right, sales organizations that look like this are buying, they are engaging in our software, they seem happy per NPS scores, and again, now we have renewal data also. And so each of those incremental data points gives you more information about being able to build up what that ideal customer profile looks like. Right. So you, you start with kind of here are some broad hypotheses. I'm going to go test a lot of them if I'm selling as a founder, right? Because, you know, that's, that's what you have to do. Shoot and in then, all directions. And then you, <laughs> not in all directions, right? Just in <laughs> here are the three or four most likely paths. And then you, you learn and you iterate from there. And you, you know, revisit those internal conversations around what's working, what's not working. Am I getting input now that I have a separate sales and customer success function from both of those sort of parts of the world?
0: All right. And then, so taking that into account, now you let's go back to the cadences. And I always recommend that like if somebody signs up for a white paper to have a cadence for them, somebody signs up for a trial, have a cadence for them, not the same cadence because they're not signing up for the same thing. How are you, how are you putting that together?
1: Yeah. So I absolutely agree that different responses based on actions taken at the top of the funnel so that, hey, I would like to speak to a sales rep is a very different indicator than I'm generally interested in this topic and I want to hear what you have to say about it, right? And so the way that you deliver value to those people is different. Like, cool, that's great that you're generally interested in that topic. You know, you've requested this information from us, this white paper to download This other one might also be really useful to you, right? Versus, hey, I want to speak to a salesperson. Great. What time are you available, right? Or great. Can I get these couple of pieces of information from you to make sure that this is the right fit so that we can set you up with the right person? Tailoring doesn't stop at that top of funnel though, right? So when, once a customer has been onboarded, we also have different and we, we do more customization around these, but we have different onboarding flows for different types of users as well, right? So we have kind of six different onboarding flows depending on who you are and how you might be using our software.
0: Well, wow, six different kinds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that's good. All right, and then do you have cadences for later on down the sales cycle? Do you automate any, any follow-ups or anything like that?
1: So we don't have the later stuff automated right now. We're still early enough that we're kind of figuring out whether there's something there we want to automate. We do do some, I don't want to call it drip marketing, but something like that, right? Where there's a set of templated emails that if a sales rep wants to re-engage, they can grab one of those and send one of those over to be like, hey, here's this piece of content that might be useful to you, and there's an email template that goes with that, but it's not an automated part of our sales process right now. We've tried to to do some things with email templates to take some of the kind of cognitive overhead away from the sales rep, but still giving them the judgment to say, do I need this, is this gonna be valuable or not?
0: Yeah, you said at the beginning that another thing that you take care of is territories. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a really difficult one to to set up. How? Where do you start? What do you look at when when splitting the territories?
1: So I think philosophically, you want people to have sort of balanced opportunity because generally you're giving people balanced quotas. And so in the very early days, you can kind of cut off like broad swaths of the country and just be like, "Here, this is yours," right? Because <laughs> There's going to be a lot of opportunity everywhere. If you're selling software like we are, then San Francisco, a lot of times you'll kind of exclude from that and just divvy up companies evenly. In the very early days when you're not going to run into a bunch of territory dispute type issues, then it's a little bit easier to just kind of do the really low effort thing. I am a pretty big advocate of as soon as you have an ideal customer profile that you feel good about to move to more of a named account model so that you're giving people a list of accounts that you have already pre-selected that fit your ICP. And so doing it for that purpose, right, rather than doing it because it's really important to do named accounts as, as the way to approach territories. But To make sure that you're serving up to salespeople, hey, I have already curated a list of accounts for you that I know fit our ICP, so these are going to be valuable for you to go after.
0: How do you set up that list? How do you find and gather that list?
1: Yeah, so that's, I guess this didn't come up when we were talking about sales tech earlier, but data providers like a discover org are usually going to be the most accessible method to do that, uh, particularly in an early stage. And like, it can get a little bit pricey, but there are a number of data providers out there and what you are looking for is basically a data provider that will give you the information that you need in order to know whether the account fits your ICP or not, right? Yeah. And so for some organizations, that will be your basic firmographic stuff, right? Like how many employees do they have? How many employees do they have in the US? How many sales employees do they have or marketing employees? Do they have something like that? For some folks who are, you know, selling recruiting-related software, they may need to know, hey, does this company have X number of job postings? And then maybe it's less of a, like, Data provider that gives you an account list and somebody that's more specialized to that to answer yeah. that question.
0: Okay. Let's take a more uh, step more towards your, your current role, which is more on the customer success side. What do you do? What, what is customer success? <laughs> is that for, for all the founders, like, okay, you, you, answer, the, you answer the emails and, and whatever support chat they have. What are you really doing? <laughs> clear, clear the air. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So at Atrium, customer success is everything after the initial sale. So it is onboarding our customers to make sure that they get off on the right foot and kind of understand how to use our product. It is having those ongoing touch points to make sure that they're getting value out of the software, which can be over email. We will also usually do quarterly either video conference or in-person meetings with folks. It is obviously doing the kind of customer support piece that you alluded to, which is reacting to questions or issues as they come in. It is also for us handling renewals and upsells. So Mm -hmm. making sure, part of making sure our customers are getting value out of our software is making sure that they are seeing success with our software so that when it comes time for them to renew, that will be an easy decision for them, right? And upsells in terms of, you know, as they grow, adding seats is the, the easy one, I guess. But also, you know, adding teams, particularly as the capabilities of our software expand.
0: I like what you said about having quarterly meetings with them, like either in person or video, because so many people will, will just come at the end of the year when the contract's up, hey, it's time to renewal. Are you ready? And they have no relationship, they have no knowledge if they're finding value or not. So it's really, For everybody listening, they should definitely keep those uh, (laughs) quarterly meetings and and keep in contact with the client.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And part of it is what kind of customer success motion you have, again, should be pretty dependent on who you're selling to and on the economics of it, right? So if you have super high ASP contracts, then you can afford to do a lot more high-touch customer success than if you're doing super small ASP contracts where you need to do a lot more kind of tech touch over email, that sort of thing. But the, to the extent that you can have those relationships and be interacting with customers through some kind of mechanism, even if it is a more like tech touch email cadence kind of a mechanism, I think it's really important to make sure that customers are recognizing value all the way through their contract. Those quarterly meetings are really valuable for us in that. But the the goal is the to make our customers get value out of the software, be really happy with how they're able to use it, what they're able to do with it, the information and insights they're able to glean from it. Again, so that it's not just showing up and being like, hi, would you like to renew? But that yeah. this is something that they have seen a lot of value from over the entire course of their contract with us.
0: Should customer success also have Uh, access to like a sales loft or some kind of sales engagement platform?
1: We do. So for us, like I said, we do customized onboarding. I also use it because we're still small enough that our customer success team also does all of our kind of customer and product marketing. So when new features are released, particularly if they have benefits that are relevant for specific of our customers, kind of writing up a little note on that that I can send out to either all of our users or the subset of users that that benefit is relevant to is another kind of really important use case for me that I access.
0: How, how are you software. doing that? Are you like ta- putting a tag or are you actually writing the comments?
1: So both. We There are a couple of key tags that we put on our users in Salesforce that we push to our sales engagement software. And then I use those tags to customize of who gets which emails and then if there's something particularly if there's a feature that i know a specific customer has requested because we also record all of our customer feature requests from salesforce then i'll send a follow-up email to that person to be like hey your feature got built
0: <laughs> yeah but that's really difficult to do as you start to scale up and you have hundreds of clients and they're all requesting certain uh features who who does what so you can't uh Can't just do it for one-on-one. It has to be a a system in place.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is certainly not, this is not something I remember, right? This is something that (laughs) as we record feature requests, I'll do a search for that feature request and then get the kind of list of people who requested it. And that'll be a a more one-off thing.
0: Yeah. If it wasn't for all these platforms, these CRMs and sales engagement platforms, I I think I would be lost. I, I forget what happens right after the call. Right after I hang <laughs> up the phone call, I am, I'm done. So that's why I have to take notes as I'm writing, as I'm talking. Oh, yeah.
1: I, <laughs> I keep way less information in my head than I, than I used to.
0: Yeah. Especially, you know, when you have a pipeline of two to 300 people at a time, not all of them very active, but, you know, 30, 50 active. That's a lot of people to be talking to all the time.
1: Yeah, so. and making sure that not only you're taking notes but are recording them somewhere that you can search them, access them all of that later is <laughs> is very valuable.
0: <laughs> yeah. How does sales ops come into play with customer success?
1: So, I, in many of the same ways that it does for new business sales. So, when you think about customer success for an account management or sorry, when you think about sales operations for an account manager or customer success function, particularly for the team that owns renewals and upsells, that team will still need territories assigned and quotas set. That team will still probably want to do forecasting. You will still want to have your sales tech set up in such a way that it enables kind of easy workflows and processes so that the sales rep isn't having to do as much manual entry of things. So all of those same same principles still apply to the sort of post initial sale side of the equation, you know, and it's everything from, hey, is the workload balanced across our customer success reps? Are we, you know, once we get big enough, are we maybe tiering this in a way that makes sense in terms of do we have higher tier and lower tier accounts that we wanna service differently? But it's also just doing things like making sure renewal opportunities are auto created in Salesforce, right? So that you know the opportunity is is already there. It's already created. It already has the products on it that they bought last year. So you know what your starting point is. So it's doing those kinds of things as well.
0: Great. Karen, thanks for uh, joining us today. Is there a way for people to reach out and and contact you if they wanted?
1: Absolutely. I am on LinkedIn, Karen Rohr. I think my team my will be in the show notes and my LinkedIn, a link to my LinkedIn will be in the show notes. So feel free to, to reach out to me there.
0: Great, Karen. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. Karen, let's finish things off with the final five. What is your favorite sales or leadership book?
1: My favorite sales book is The Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Robert.
0: He was also on the show. Do you have someone that you follow or read for sales and leadership advice?
1: Actually, Jeremy Donovan puts out a ton of really great content. <laughs> I know he was on the show recently as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's terrific. I love seeing all the statistics that come out because some of them are really shocking. hmm all right. What's something that you are doing differently that makes you excel at your, in your position?
1: So for me, my customers are sales operations people and sales managers. And so having the empathy of having been in those jobs, I think, is something that I really do understand their pain points and, and can bring that to the table when I'm meeting with them.
0: Empathy is important. Have you read the book uh, Drive? By Daniel I Pink, uh, not Drive, yeah. uh, Everyone, Everyone Sells by Daniel Pink.
1: I haven't read that one. I have read Drive.
0: Okay. So the, that one talks about empathy being very important. What is your favorite tool used for sales?
1: My favorite tool, I'm going to go way out of left field because we've talked about a lot of the big ones. Cloud app is what I use to take screenshots and record GIFs and videos, and I use it literally every day.
0: Wow. You must not have a Mac then.
1: So I do have a Mac is the thing. I just think cloud app is easier.
0: Okay. Interesting. I've never heard of it. I'll look it up. Last question. What one piece of advice do you have for all the founders and early stage uh, salespeople out there?
1: So my one piece of advice is that it's important to understand your sales motion so that you can iterate on it, learn from it and build it out. It really does just start with understanding what you are doing today, measuring it, documenting it so that you can improve on it. Uh, so, you know, start with the basics of knowing, knowing kind of what is the approach that you're taking so that you know which things you want to train other people on and which things you maybe want to try and change or improve.
0: Very much. Uh, I think that's a good way to wrap up the episode because it kind of puts everything you were talking about and the importance of it. Karen, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.